In fact, in the books that we are looking at this morning, you tell us that your word, Scripture, is able to make us wise unto salvation, and that all Scripture is breathed out by you and is useful for correction, for teaching, for reproof, and to make us prepared for every good work that you have for us. Father, we trust, we expect, and anticipate that you are doing a work in us this morning through your word, by your Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So I hope that you are having a good fall break. You guys, you got like one day yesterday, or Friday, right? Yeah. I know Bloomington schools got two days. We at RBB got a full week, so ha-ha. Uh, <laughs> take that. Uh, I, I used one of the days, uh, my son and I, Jacob, to, to go on a college visit, and we were in St. Louis, and while we were in St. Louis, we checked out this really cool restaurant call, called Soul Taco. It's S-E-O-U-L, as in the city, Seoul, uh, and it's a fusion of Korean and Mexican food, and it is incredible. Love this. Uh, we were told the story that it actually started off as a food truck on campus, and the food truck was so popular that they bought a brick-and-mortar store and, you know, started their, the restaurant there. And after that, you know, still so popular, they, they spread. And now they have eight locations throughout St. Louis, Missouri, Illinois. And it is that good. It's amazing. Uh, but just imagine the, the transition that has to take place from going from a food truck, where it's a mom-and-pop shop, right, to you now own a store and you have to have cooks and managers and front, you know, point of sale people and janitors and a whole different scenario. And then you've got eight stores, so you have to have that kind of organization in each of the eight stores. And you have to make sure that the menus are, you know, the same. Uh, people got to get the same product when they go there. That, that's an imperfect parallel. But it is a parallel to what was happening in the early decades of the church. It started off as a very organic kind of movement, right? In Jerusalem, the upper room, the disciples who had followed Jesus. And then it grew spectacularly on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people came to believe. And through the work of Peter and Philip and especially Paul, the church spread throughout the known world. But Peter and Paul couldn't be in each of these churches, so each of these churches had to develop leadership structures and had to safeguard the message that had been handed down to them by Peter and Paul and obviously through Jesus. Paul's concern that emerges in these pastoral epistles, which is First and Second Timothy and Titus, is that he leave behind healthy, godly, well-ordered, Christ-centered, gospel-loving, right-living churches. That concern emerges from Paul in these letters, but we know Paul was moved by the Holy Spirit to write what he wrote. So this is God's concern, not only for his first century church, but for us also. Uh, the big idea this morning, the big idea from these three letters of Paul is that God has given us an incredible 
treasure, the gospel. And it is our responsibility, our, our privilege to guard it, to steward it, so that we can pass it on to the next generation. Uh, this big idea emerges in three concern, three concerns that Paul weaves together through all three of these letters. And the first concern is for sound structure. God wants his church to be a well-ordered, well-structured organization. Not haphazard, because God is a God of order and not of chaos. Some have actually argued that Paul didn't write these letters because he wasn't concerned about church government or structures or the church as an institution. And if you look at Paul's early letters, yeah, I would agree. But the situation, like any good leader, is adapting to the changing situation. You know, I like to consider myself a fairly expert packer when it comes to packing the car for a long trip. I, I learned it from my dad who packed our Astro van for two-week-long camping trips all the time and had to get it all in there. But when my kids bring out their luggage and my wife brings out her trunk and then her separate suitcase for coats and her separate suitcase for shoes, and uh, I can see it. I know how it's all going to fit in the back of the car. Now, if we're just taking a day trip like we did this week to St. Louis, no big deal, right? You throw some snacks in the back, of the back seat and you go. Or if it's a weekend trip, again, not a big deal. You just throw a duffel bag in the back and you're good. But when it's all five of us for a week, for a long trip, it takes structure, it takes organization, it takes planning. But what we see in the pastoral epistles is the recognition by the Apostle Paul that this isn't just a weekend trip. Uh, we're in this as the church for the long haul. One of the hallmarks of Paul's theology is the emphasis on the return of Christ. He talks about it often in his letters. In the book of Titus, he refers to it as our blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. And in his letter to Timothy, he says, this appearing will happen at the proper time. In all of Paul's letters, there's, there's this sense that it, it could be imminent. It, it could happen at any moment. But not necessarily this moment. Not necessarily the next moment. There could be a lot of moments stacked up together before Christ returns. It's going to happen at the proper time, but we don't know when the proper time is. So we have to prepare we have to build these structures to sustain the church for the long haul. Large sections of these three letters, I would say probably 20% of these three letters, is devoted to the structures of the church. In fact, Paul tells Titus, I left you on Crete to build structures. I left you on Crete to appoint elders in all the churches there. Through these three letters, we get detailed information about what the elders 
and overseers, I think those are synonymous terms, are supposed to do in the church. In 1 Timothy 5, it looks like there's probably two different categories of elders or two different tasks that the elders throw themselves into. There are ruling elders and teaching elders. Paul says elders are are worthy of a, a, a double portion of honor, especially those who teach. So the elders rule over, give oversight to the church, and some of them teach and preach. And alongside these elders are deacons. Deacons who care for the needs of the church, spiritual needs, material needs, financial needs. They're the ones ministering to the orphans and to the widows. And both elders and deacons are essential for a well-functioning, organized church. Lots of information in these three letters about what Timothy or Titus ought to look for when they're selecting, appointing elders and deacons. And it's not really about skill sets. It's about faithfulness. It's about character. It's about reputation both inside and outside the church. And all this emphasis on structures in the church is important because the church isn't just a movement. It is an institution. It's more than an institution, but it's not less than an institution. You know, movements, movements have energy. Movements are exciting. Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, understands that. For decades, their language has, has reflected that. Crew doesn't invite people to an organization or to an institution, and inviting people to a movement. Because movements are exciting, and and that's great. Church structures, institution, that sounds really boring, doesn't it? You know what else is boring? The studs in the walls of my house. Right? They're not painted. They're not decorated. You don't see them. You just forget about them. My basement is my favorite spot in my house. I love my basement. It's decorated with my favorite movie posters, this really cool guitar that I painted, um, gig posters from music. None of that would stay up. If it wasn't for the studs holding up the walls, holding up the structure of my house. Studs Uh, structures, institutions, they might not be exciting, but they're necessary. They're necessary for the stability of the church. They say, well, don't these kind of structures squash the freedom of the Holy Spirit to move and to operate? No, not at all. Think about the text that was just read. The elders laid hands on Timothy and prophesied over Timothy and imparted a gift to Timothy that he was instructed to use and not waste. That prophesying over Timothy, the speaking of those words over Timothy and the imparting of the gift, that was the Holy Spirit doing that. 
It's not the elders who can give a gift, a spiritual gift. That's the Holy Spirit. But the Spirit was operating through the structures of the church, through the elders, and their commissioning of Timothy to this task. The structure doesn't inhibit the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through the structures, and I see this every year on the nominating committee. I've been on the nominating committee, I think, for for 12 years. It's a long run. I'm waiting for my relief. No, I I love the nominating committee and the work we do. Uh, So many of the meetings are, frankly, just meetings. They're not... They don't feel special necessarily. I mean, it's lists of openings and dates and who's rotating off and membership lists. And it feels so ordinary. But every year we pray, Holy Spirit, please lead as we do this important work. And open the hearts of people to respond and say, yes, we're trusting that the Holy Spirit is working. And working through the structures of the church. Because those structures are important. There is a, a mood in the church, in our, frankly, our culture, that is a, a distrust of institutions, a, a distrust of structures, a movement away from formal religion and institution. It's kind of appeal to, to go back to the way they did it in the early church where Believers just gathered together in a, in a room and, and very organic. But realize the early church moved away from that model purposely because it was not sustainable. Structures are important for the sustainability, uh, for the stability of the church. And they're important because of the cargo we carry in our hull. Treasure of the gospel. You don't put a great treasure like, you know, your grandma's diamond engagement ring, this heirloom. You don't put it in a plastic baggie and throw it in the junk drawer, right? You put it in a ring box. You put it in a jewelry box. Maybe you put it in a safe. Those structures are meant to protect the treasure. And the structures of the church are meant to protect, to guard the treasure of the gospel. Paul's second concern in these pastoral epistles is for sound doctrine. God wants his church to steward the teachings of the apostles, especially the gospel. Timothy was instructed in the passage that we read to keep a close watch on his teaching. Elsewhere, he's instructed to devote himself and the church to the public reading and teaching of Scripture. He's told to train himself and others in the words of the faith, or the sound words. In other words, good theology. It's not only his job, but the job of the elders also. And he is told to train himself to rightly handle the Word of God. Don't just assume it. Work hard at it. Train yourself to handle the Word of God of the Lord. That was his task and the elder's task, and they were both supposed to protect the purity of the gospel by opposing false teachers. Paul tells Timothy 
to charge certain persons not to teach a different gospel. He says, if they teach anything else other than what I've handed on to you, then they're puffed up and conceited and they shouldn't be trusted. And Paul tells Titus, find elders that hold to the trustworthy words that were taught. And they can then teach the church to hold to these trustworthy words. The church is to guard sound doctrine, especially the gospel. I mean, all doctrine is important, right? But especially the gospel. Paul weaves the gospel all through these three letters. You get these wonderful statements like what you get in 1 Timothy 1.15, where Paul says, this is a trustworthy statement that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. In the next chapter, he says, here is the truth. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who came and offered himself as a ransom for all. And just in case he didn't get it in that first letter, Paul comes back to it in the second letter and says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. In other words, the Messiah. That's my gospel. To Titus, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but because of his own mercy. God in grace saved us. That's the gospel. The life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, which frees us from captivity to sin, frees us from guilt and shame, and frees us to live upright and holy lives. That's the gospel. And Paul tells Timothy and Titus, guard it. It's precious. Guard it. It's been entrusted to you. Now guard this good deposit. There's this chain of custody. Paul says, it was given to me by Jesus. I've guarded it. I've passed it on to you. Now you guard it and entrust it to other faithful believers who will teach it to the next generation. And keep the gospel pure. Keep the treasure safe. The gospel is a precious Precious treasure to be stewarded. This past summer, my family and I did get to go on one of those vacations that was long and required skill in packing. Um, We went to California, and one of the days we were in California, we went to Joshua Tree and hiked through the desert. I have never been in desert landscape before, and it is rugged, it is rough, it feels dangerous in a way. And it is incredibly beautiful. I am so thankful for the National Parks Services for preserving places like that. That's the only national park that I can think I've been to. But I'm glad they do that job of preserving, protecting this national treasure of these parks, these wild areas. I didn't have to call the customer service hotline for National Parks Department. I bet they have one, but I bet it's really small. Because their job is not customer service. Their job is preserving, protecting the treasure of the national parks. They have 
hundreds or thousands of, of rangers in the parks dedicated to that task. Again, not a perfect parallel, but a parallel to the church. We have this task, not of customer service necessarily, but of preserving the gospel, of guarding this treasure. What is our purpose as the church? Is it to serve the community? Is it to send out missionaries to train disciples, to worship, to grow, to reach the campus? Yes to all of those, but there's something logically prior to that. Stewarding the gospel. Because if we lose the gospel, then we can't serve our community well. If we lose the gospel, we can't train disciples. We can't introduce people to worship. We can't. The gospel is primary. That is our treasure that we guard and protect great structures of the church are quite silly if we don't have the treasure inside. A, a ring box, you, you don't put a bubblegum machine plastic ring in a ring box. You, you don't build a safe to guard, guard your, your Pop-Tart collection. You know, that's silly. You put treasure in these safe places. The structures of the church are meant to guard this treasure. But guarding this treasure of the gospel leads to a third key concern for Paul, and that is sound living. God wants his church to live in a way that adorns the gospel, that makes it attractive, winsome, beautiful, and gives it credibility. So Timothy was instructed by Paul not just to keep watch of his life, but to keep watch, or of his doctrine, but to also keep watch of his life. To set an example in life, in speech, in conduct, in love, and in purity. The gospel is inseparable from right, godly living. Here are these words from Titus. This is just an incredible passage. It's Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I mean, we're clearly talking gospel here, right? Grace has appeared, bringing salvation, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. He's weaving together gospel and life while we wait for the blessed hope The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up to redeem us, back to gospel. He has redeemed us from all lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. The gospel is inseparable from life. Sound doctrine leads to sound living. And the call to sound living in these pastoral epistles uh, applies to the leaders of the church. They're a, a part of the list of qualifications for elders and deacons. They ought to live holy lives, be above reproach, respectable, be 
people of good reputation inside and outside the church. But Paul applies this not just to leaders, but to all people. The older women are supposed to train the younger women how to live this way. The older men are supposed to train the younger men how to live this way. Sometimes Paul puts this call to living holy, to right living, in a negative. The gospel teaches us to say no to ungodliness, to not be greedy, to not be drunkards, to depart from iniquity. But other times he puts a more positive spin on it. We are called to devote ourselves to good works, to be contented, to strive and train ourselves for righteousness, to live godly lives. Why? Because through our living, again, we lend credibility, credence to the words we say when we proclaim the gospel. Uh, Imagine I am a devotee of Chevy. I'm a Chevy fan, and I am. I've got a Chevy hat. I've got Chevy shirts. I will tell you why Chevy is way better than Ford and way better than Dodge or Chrysler. But now imagine after we've had one of these conversations and you see me wearing my hat and my shirt, I go out and I get in a Ford pickup. You know, what? What you say and what you do doesn't line up. Does what we do, Christian, church, does it line up with what we say? We say, Christ is our treasure. Whom have I in heaven or on earth beside you? My, my heart desires nothing but you. And then we go out and we chase every trinket the world offers we say we're, we're living for eternity. We have eternity. Our, our hearts and minds are, are set above. And yet we live as if tomorrow is all that matters. Our, our lives don't align with our doctrine. We're not backing up our sound teaching with sound living. This week, one passage kind of cut me to the quick. It's Titus chapter 3. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul to a young pastor, Titus. He says, remind them, talking about the church, to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, And to show perfect courtesy toward all people. I will confess, as one of your pastors, as a husband, a father, a fellow believer, I have failed in this. I confess that. I have been outwardly obedient, but not always inwardly submissive to rulers and authorities. Certainly not been ready for every good work. The occasional good work? Sure. 
Not every good work. I have spoken evil of people. I have not avoided quarreling. I've sought it out, especially on social media. I'm good at it. I have not been gentle. Ask my kids. Ask my wife. Certainly, show perfect courtesy toward all peoples. I would ask, have you? My guess is no. I'm going to ask you not just to confess that with me, but to repent of it. To turn our back on living those ways, talking those ways, and to live differently. To allow our life to back up our doctrine. Because when we don't, it hurts our witness. It tarnishes the gospel. It does not make it look very attractive. And the testimony of so many young people who were leaving the church is that the church's life doesn't line up with their words. That should concern us. Because we're given this task of guarding this precious treasure, the gospel. Our Lord's concern for the church has not changed since Paul penned these words close to 2,000 years ago. His concern hasn't changed because the gospel hasn't changed. It is still a, a treasure impossible to put a price tag on. It is worth stewarding. It is worth proclaiming. It is worth adorning with holy lives. And it is worth passing on to the next generation by God's grace. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the church. We thank you even for the structures of the church that seem, you know, maybe boring. But you've given those to us for a reason so that by those structures through your church we can guard this precious gift of the gospel. This truth that Jesus has come, lived and died and is coming again to restore all things. Father, we pray that you would find us faithful in stewarding this great treasure. In Jesus' precious name, amen.